This podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, who invite you to simply step outside this summer. With expert tips and advice, L.L. Bean can help you get more out of every moment outdoors. Here's a tip. Set yourself up for easy backyard adventures by leaving a tote bag with the essentials right by the door, sunscreen, bug spray, and a few hats or pairs of sunglasses. Now you'll never need to search your house to find them. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. The main street of Skagway, Alaska looks a bit like something out of an old movie set, a replica of an old Wild West town, where the storefronts now house jewelry and souvenir shops, breweries, and restaurants that cater to tourists. It's not hard to imagine how the buildings used to be saloons, general stores, brothels, and other places of business typical of the 1800s. If you feel it's all a bit corny, take comfort in two facts. These are all truly restored buildings from the Klondike Gold Rush, and there were plenty of conmen and farces back then too. Skagway earns its fame from an enthralling story as the gateway to the Klondike Gold Rush nearly 50 years after the California Gold Rush of 1849. It's easy to get caught up in the daydream of the myriad pioneers and adventurers who made their fortune passing through Skagway to the abundant troves of gold waiting in the wilderness beyond. But the story didn't actually unfold that way. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the America's National Parks Podcast. Today, Skagway is home to the Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park. The visitor center resides in one of the restored buildings right on Broadway, close to the docks. Many of those Wild West buildings are, in fact, part of the park, and the stories of the fortune seekers, adventurers, and scoundrels alike are housed within their walls. Two storylines punctuate the history preserved here. The first is the gold itself, and the harsh reality that by the time the news of the Klondike gold strike actually made it back to the mainland, and the time required to travel to Alaska and into Canada and to the Klondike itself, the gold rush was essentially over, and people went back home without the riches they'd imagined. The second storyline is the one that will earn our attention today, the story of the journey into the Klondike, the unmitigated hardships that ensued sometimes made insufferably worse by the swindlers and conmen that took advantage of the fortune seekers. Here's Abigail. a party of four discovered gold at Rabbit Creek near the Klondike River in Canada's Yukon Territory, stumbling upon wealth beyond their wildest imaginations. Nearly a year passed before the news spread to the outside world, but those in the area, including many who had staked mines elsewhere in the Pacific Northwest, flocked to the Klondike, gobbling up claims along the Klondike River. Beyond that immediate area, the world knew nothing about the newly discovered swell of gold until the following fall, 
and then a stampede of fortune seekers made their plans to get themselves to the Yukon and cash in. Among the many ways to reach the Klondike from remote areas, the most common was to make your way to Seattle. Take a boat up the dangerous inside passage through the iceberg-laden waters, past the budding remote outpost towns, and alight in the northernmost landing in the towns of Skagway or Dai. Many breathed a sigh of relief stepping onto Alaskan soil. The weather was still temperate in that region of Alaska in the fall, but the journey that still lay ahead of them was most likely unfathomable. Although people had traveled a great distance, days by boat, perhaps preceded by an overland route to reach Seattle from far and wide, they had barely scratched the surface of their trek. The gateway boomtown of Skagway offered everything the prospectors could possibly need, including inns to spend the night and saloons for food and drink. But the most important order of business was to outfit themselves for the precarious adventure ahead, which could last a better part of a year, during which they might not be able to replenish supplies. The recommended food provisions included 350 pounds of flour, 150 pounds of bacon, 100 pounds of beans, 25 pounds of rice, 50 pounds of dry salt pork, 100 pounds of dried fruit, 50 pounds of cornmeal, 50 pounds of rolled oats, 100 pounds of sugar, 25 pounds of evaporated potatoes, and 50 pounds of coffee. Beyond those rations, the men needed clothing that they likely didn't own back home. Lots of woolen undergarments, several types of coats, rubber boots, plus heavy blankets and tents, a stove, cookery, hatchets, and other tools. As the prospectors began to plan out how to get themselves and their supplies to their destination hundreds of miles away over frozen mountain passes with a 500-mile river run at the end, many thought to send word back home to their families. And here the trouble began. For $5, they were told they could send a message at the telegraph office. And many did. In reality, however, no telegraph capability existed in Skagway. It was perhaps the first taste of swindling they experienced, and many never even knew. Because rather than settling down and waiting for a reply, they were headed into the backcountry with no hope of communication for a very long time. But it was not the only flavor of monkey business doled out by the local conmen. They cheated the newcomers at cards, sold them overpriced goods of poor quality, and in general, took advantage of the new arrivals any way they could. Skagway was not necessarily all that it seemed on the surface. It was an official city with an official city hall, but the town was, to some extent, ruled by local gangs. And Jeff, a.k.a. Soapy Smith's Saloon, known as Jeff Smith's Parlor, was the unofficial city hall and the unquestionable center of Skagway's crooked underground. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. 
from remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts. You can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. While Soapy Smith fleeced newcomers of their money, the bottom line is that they still set out on the trail to the Klondike. Those hundreds and hundreds of pounds of supplies had to be carried into the camps by hand, in stages, back and forth, back and forth, over the steep and rocky terrain of the White Pass Trail to camp through the winter until the ice melted and they could transport themselves and their goods down the river to the actual gold digs. Some prospectors bought pack animals such as horses to help haul their heavy outfit over the pass, but the brutal conditions and the overloaded packs caused more than 3,000 animals deaths and brought the moniker Dead Horse Gulch to the trail. With such demand for a better means to crest the trail, both to bring travelers to the mines and to bring the gold and ores that were mined to a distribution port, construction began in 1898 on the White Pass and Yukon Railroad. It would provide a means of transportation between the gold mines in the Yukon and the bustling port city of Skagway. By the time the route was completed in 1900, the Klondike Gold Rush had run its course. It was in many ways a failed gold rush. By the time most of the prospectors heard of the news of the gold strike, made their way to Skagway, trundled their heavy goods over the mountains and down the deep river into the heart of northwestern Canada and attempted to stake a claim, most of the claims were already gone and the spoils cashed in. A few became wealthy, the rest merely adventurers either broken by the disappointment and backbreaking journey to reach the Klondike, or merely emboldened by the adventure. A few hardy folks stayed on, but Alaska didn't offer the kind of climate and amenities that had brought so many permanent settlers to California during and following its famous gold rush. In Alaska, the lands that were formerly the realm of the Clinket and Haida peoples, rich in history and natural resources, were overtaken and to some extent pillaged to build the boomtown, to support the bustling throngs of people who arrived by the thousands, passing through on their way to imagined glory. And in the end, Skagway was a mere ghost of its former self, its buildings falling into disrepair and abandonment, and Dai simply disappeared as a town of any significance. Today, Skagway is still a booming pass-through town with a small, permanent population, a large, seasonal population, 
many of whom are seasonal employees to support the summer tourism business, and thousands upon thousands of cruise ship passengers daily during the warm months. You can, in good conscience, go there and enjoy everything that Skagway has to offer without concern of being swindled by a con man who sells you a pack dog for your gold mine journey and steals it back the night to sell again to ding victim. The history of the Klondike Gold Rush runs throughout the town and into the glories of nature beyond, all bundled up as part of the Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park. There you can visit Soapy Smith's parlor and get a taste of the gimmicks he used to con folks, or wander through the cemetery where the lauded local heroes and scoundrels are buried. Four separate locations comprise Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park. None are actually in the Klondike at the site where gold was discovered. Rather, they captured the journey to strike gold along the rough country sitting between the continental United States and the Klondike itself. One unit preserves the history of the departure point in Seattle for many opportunists looking to stake their claims. The other three are in Alaska. The Skagway Historic District, located in a quaint city along Alaska's Inside Passage, captures the history of the era at one of the two Alaska points of embarkation for the difficult trek that lay ahead. Skagway's historic buildings from the time of the gold rush have been, or are being, restored to their original appearance, and several serve as museums in the park. The Gold Rush Cemetery is contained in this section, featuring the graves of notable people, remarkable and infamous alike. A short trail in the cemetery leads to Lower Reed Falls, and other hiking trails abound in Skagway. The Dye and Chilkoot Trail Unit is a more rugged area of the park. Dye, about 10 miles from Skagway, had also been a boomtown that served as a launching point for the difficult journey into the Klondike. The Chilkoot Trail, a 33-mile segment of a former Gold Rush Highway, is open for day hikes and backpacking. Artifacts from the Gold Rush pioneers can be found along the trail. Note that this trail crosses into Canada, so you need your passport to complete the hike. Rafting is available along the Taya River, and there's a National Park campground in Dai. The final unit of the park is White Pass, a largely inaccessible area that represents a trail that Gold Rush pioneers used to get to the Klondike from Skagway. It covers the Skagway River Valley and parts of the Yukon. This remote area has a couple of hiking trails, but no roads going in. It's most easily accessed by train. The White Pass and Yukon Railroad will drop people off at lonely stops where they can reach the trails, and even spend the night in a public-use cabin located along the way. For those less hardy, a ride on the railroad up to the White Pass summit is a thrilling ascent into the snowy tundra of Alaska, and longer trips are available into Canada, but not during COVID. The Seattle unit is easy to get to, right downtown. However, the Alaska units require a great deal of planning, as Skagway is not a major city with commercial airport access. It's a 30-hour road trip from Seattle, but can also be reached via small plane, ferry, or cruise ship. 
All three Alaska units are easily reachable once you're in Skagway. Dai is a half hour drive from Skagway and the White Pass and Yukon Railroad leaves from near the boat dock and National Park Visitor Center in Skagway. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. If you're interested in RV travel, check out RVMiles.com or find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys as our wandering family family all across social media. Today's show was sponsored by LL Bean. Follow the hashtag be an outsider and visit llbean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks and by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at campendium.com.